0: I just have to remember that, you know, this is their life to be lived. And that, you know, whether he's differently wired or not, he's a human being who was born resilient. And we all are. You know, we are we are born for struggle to survive struggle. And I try to remember too and be grateful that he has a mother that can't protect him from the pain, but I am definitely a soft place for him to land when he has pain.
1: Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today I'm talking with a dear friend of mine and fellow mom in the trenches, Andrea Owen. Andrea and I met many years ago through our advocacy work on behalf of teens and young women, and since then, Andrea has gone on to become a high-profile life coach and the founder of her business, Your Kick-Ass Life. She also hosts the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast, which has over 170 episodes out now, and is the author of 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life. Her new book comes out this January, and I can't say the whole title because my podcast has a clean rating but it's called How to Stop Feeling Like, another word for crap, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness. As a coach, Andrea is focused on helping high-achieving women let go of perfectionism, control, and isolation, and choosing courage and confidence instead. And as a mother, Andrea is raising her own differently-wired son, one who, incidentally, though a few years younger, actually shares the same birthday as Asher. In our conversation, Andrea takes us inside her own parenting journey and shares how she's navigated her own baggage and sticky spots in coming to terms with who her son is. As someone who is dedicated to helping women lead their most fulfilled lives, Andrea has had to walk the walk. And today she opens up about what that process has looked like for her and shares her wisdom for how the rest of us can do that too. And before I get to the episode, a little reminder that in two weeks time, I'm releasing a special episode with Dr. Ross Green, the author of The Explosive Child, and the person behind the Collaborative and Proactive Solutions model. I'd love your help spreading the word and helping get that episode listened to by more people. If you want to do that, make sure you sign up for the Tilt Parenting Facebook page at facebook.com slash Tilt Parenting. When the episode comes out, I'll be posting some simple graphics that you can share with your friends and on Facebook groups. Thank you so much. And now I'll get on with the show. Hello, Andrea. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy that you are here. You and I have known each other for many years, and we've had a lot of conversations about our differently wired kiddos during some darker moments of our lives. Yeah, But for our listeners, would you mind just telling us a little bit about who you are and about your kids and specifically your differently wired kiddo?
0: Yeah. um, Well, I'm Andrea Owen. And first and foremost, I'm a mom. And I'm also an author and life coach. And my son is my differently wired child. I I also have a seven year old daughter. And my son is nine. He actually shares a birthday with Asher. That's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he so he'll be ten the summer of, of twenty seventeen. And his diagnosis officially came when he was five, I believe. It was it was the same year that they dropped Asperger's from the DSM. Mm-hmm. So his official diagnosis is high-functioning autism with sensory processing disorder and anxiety disorder. And that happened when he was about, um, about to start kindergarten. And now he's in, we're just finishing up third grade.
1: Wow. Okay. And what kind
0: of school is he going to? He's in a regular mainstream elementary school, public school now. And we've I've had conversations with you about, you know, should we send him to a private school? Should we send him to, there's actually a school here near where we live that is just for children with high functioning autism. We looked into that extensively and considered it. But we have had, we have turned a corner in third grade, actually, of all the grades, you know, because so many parents said third grade is when it all starts to fall apart. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, because second grade was really rough for us. Mm. And I could talk about that. But, um, we have really turned a corner this past year, and things have gone really well for him. We've had a lot of interventions over the years, some which we're not even sure if they worked or not. And um, just last week, we had an end of year IEP meeting that was the best IEP meeting we've ever had. That's fantastic! It's fantastic. We're in this season of an upswing. I mean, as you know, with these kids, it can be you can go through seasons where. You know, you have a setback, and then other times it can be really great. And this has been our longest streak of things going really well. And so I'm, I'm trying to lean into the joy of it instead of bracing myself for the setback. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Asher used to have these regressive
1: periods, and they sometimes his regressions would last like three months or, or longer. And then when one day I'd realize. Oh my god, the regressions over, but I was so afraid of it returning <laughs> that I never yeah. enjoyed that little break that we had.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to for me in my experience it's been hard to stay in gratitude and and you know, being someone that works in personal development, I know how important this is, but you know, first and foremost, I'm a human. Yes. <laughs> I'm a mother. of a really wired child and and so I I still find it tricky to stay really excited about all of his progress.
1: Yeah. Well, let's take a step back. I'd love to just hear when you knew something was going on and what that process was like for you and what that looked like for you personally, as you discovered, oh, this is not really what
0: I yeah. thought this was going to look like. Yeah, it's it's interesting because he was born in 2007. And I I feel like that was really the height of the debate about autism and vaccinations. I mean, remember remember when that was really huge Mm, and that mm -hmm. kind of exploded in the media and that was, that was when it was. So I was, I was very, um, I was doing a lot of research about it and, and, and really into that. And I was a first time mom too. So he was born and he seemed like a, a totally normal child and he was always very, um, he was always much more of an observer. I, you know, I had him in like a like a baby mom and baby group, and even when the little ones his age were starting to crawl, he was he was late to crawl and walk, and he would always just kind of like sit back and watch all the other kids. He's never been just personality wise. He's never been kind of like a quote unquote typical rowdy little boy, rough mm-hmm. and tumble little boy. And then when he was a toddler, I noticed he was always very cautious. We called him like the cautious child and very serious as well, and. But never really, no alarm bells really were raised until he was about probably four. And what happened that year was that his sister, who's two years younger than him, she was around two years old. And I was noticing that her... We thought, my husband and I thought that she was just like this genius child. We thought she was like (laughs) this just amazing, like athlete. You know, she was two. It turns out she was normal. (laughs) And and he, um, of course, we think she's extra special, but she she was just doing things as normal toddlers do. And our son was not. Mm. And also, I noticed there were some red flags for me. I noticed when I would take them to the park, I would be relieved when there was no one else there. Mm. Because it was painful for me to watch him try and interact with other children. You know, he would obsess on certain games and try to play with kids and repeat himself over and over again. Like, let's play fireman. I'm the chief. Let's play fireman. I'm the chief. And follow them around. And he wasn't understanding when kids were walking away from him and or, or even saying, like, we don't want to play that. And I kind of, I mean, you know, you have that kind of feeling but I didn't, I didn't want it to be true. But at the same time, I knew something was wrong. And coincidentally, his preschool teacher, we started to have some problems in preschool with the other children. And and Colton was having outbursts about um, you know, things not going his way or, or kids playing with things that he always wanted to play with. And his preschool teacher happened to be a retired special education teacher. And I'll never forget the day she called me. I was standing at the kitchen sink, peeling a potato. And she said, she was telling me about something that had happened that day. And she said, I- I've been wanting to tell you this for a couple of weeks now. And I don't know how else to say it, except that I think you should have him tested. Mm. And it was, you know, those moments you have like that out-of-body experience where everything kind of slows down and it's just like tunnel vision. And, and that was one of those moments. I remember, you know, there was things going on around me and I couldn't hear anything except that. And just thinking not my baby like I can't I just I just felt just crushed but at the same time it was a mixture of this you know my heart just breaking as well as a little bit of relief mm-hmm. that we might have an answer and he might be able to get help and all the puzzle pieces kind of started to fall into place about what might be going on with him so we went through the whole process and we got his diagnosis and yeah it's been a wild ride emotionally for myself and for my husband and for our marriage and for my son as well. Mm-hmm. I totally
1: relate to that moment. And I'm sure that so many listeners do too. And and I'm sure that was difficult too for your teacher. It's always kind of tricky for people to make that suggestion, especially if it hasn't been brought up before, you know, mm-hmm. that I think there might be something going on here. It's not a, an easy call to make.
0: Yeah, I know. And but I'm I'm grateful for her for it. I, I eventually would have it eventually would have happened. But I don't know if it would have happened that quickly. Right, right. So
1: for you, personally, you said you were crushed, and you were a little relieved. I'm just curious. For me, I remember having a, a serious resistance to you know, this isn't really what's going on at the same time while I was researching everything and buying every book I could. But I still I was I kind of went into combat mode, like, Oh, yeah, well, we'll see about this. You know? <laughs> um, What was that like for you? Like your own process of, of coming to a place of acceptance or really surrendering? Like, okay, this is what's going on?
0: I think, you know, from like logistical standpoint, I didn't have that much resistance. I was I I jumped in feet first to his testing. It was it was very expensive at the time. The route that we went, it wasn't covered at all by insurance and um that part I didn't have too much resistance to. I think I I I was I was ready. I was really I was ready and um I think my husband is had a little bit more resistance to it. My husband had the thought that he was, um, it was just a behavioral issue, and that we needed to find a different way to discipline him. So that was the the first year or two. It, it definitely caused a strain. I think honestly, what kind of got my feathers the most ruffled was the reaction of other people around me, and I was grieving, and it was tricky to be in this. And I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate to like what you said about I went into productivity mode. I went, I researched all the things I got, you know, the best doctors. I was, I was going to do this right for him. But at the same time I was, I was grieving. And when I would tell people how I was feeling, I was met with reactions like, well, he's always going to be the same kid. And, um, I even got one girl said to me, well, at least he's verbal Wow, mm-hmm. you know, like the it's really not that bad mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it I just kept every i felt like everywhere or or people were telling me about changing his diet and and all these things to fix it and and while I appreciated that, I felt like it was so rare to find someone who would say, yeah." That sucks, and I'm so sorry that you're having to go through this, and that must be so crushing. And and that's why I turned to you, like you were the only person I knew, and we didn't even live in the same state. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We had met once years ago, yeah. And I just I felt like I felt really lonely. But you know, there's I know that there's parents all over the world who are struggling with this, and so I really struggled with finding support emotionally in, in it and, and really going through the grief of it and allowing myself to grieve this while at the same time going to bat for my son.
1: Yeah, it is a lonely place to be, especially when you're just really trying to wrap your head around what's going on. And just interesting reactions that, that you got a lot of what I would get is, well, he seems fine to me. Yes. Or I, you know, He seems normal. And like, okay, that is the Probably least helpful thing you could say right now. But yeah, yeah, it is a very isolating place to be. And hopefully, the more the people, you know, talk about things and are open about it, then it will become less something that we keep to ourselves. I think a lot of people don't even talk about it. So you don't even know, right, who in your community is dealing with this, because a lot of people keep it behind closed doors
0: hmm I find even, you know, it's only been a few years later. I, I just met someone. I was on a, I was chaperoning a field trip for my daughter's class and was, and happened to strike up a conversation with a woman. And she casually mentioned that one of her other children is on the spectrum. And, and this happens to me like fairly often. I don't know if it's an energy mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. we put out, but if we, we happen to find each other. And I mean, it happens to me probably like once a quarter. And I, I've, I have found that the stigma is going down and that parents are more likely to talk to each other about it, I think, even than they were just a few years ago. Mm-hmm.
1: I agree. And maybe that's just because I'm surrounded by people who talk about right. it. But it definitely seems like it's it or at least when I tell people what's going on in our family, I don't, I get better responses. You know, it's more just like, oh, that's interesting. You know, it, it doesn't really shift or change anything dramatically. It's just another part of who my child is. Absolutely. So, you know, my husband and I just did an episode a few weeks ago, Um, I brought him on the show for the very first time, he was admittedly quite nervous, but we have been through a lot as a couple in trying to just figure out the dynamic of how we could parent together. And as the primary caregiver and the one in charge of most, everything. yeah, of everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, that was difficult for a, a number of years because I was slowly building up resentment that he wasn't on the same page to a point where I felt like he was undoing all the good I was doing during the day by not meeting my standard of how he should be parenting and supporting Asher. So would you mind just telling us a little bit, you said that your husband had some resistance and maybe thinking this was more a behavioral issue. Have you guys come to a place where you're feeling more in alignment and that you're working together in supporting Colton? <laughs> So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com 60TILT and use code 60TILT to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes and anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome.
0: it was not easy in the beginning and i i i read somewhere too that parents of special needs children have a higher divorce rate and i'm not surprised at all i think that it has the ability to bring you closer or drive you apart and I I went through a period where my son became my first priority and my marriage was not. And I just thought to myself, you know what, this, this, again, this season that I'm going through and I will circle back in a minute, but I can't, you know, I, I run a business. I have two children and it was, it was a lot to handle right then and there. And so what has helped us tremendously is Uh, I was diagnosed actually with severe anxiety disorder when I was 26 or 27 and was put on medication for several years. And so I know what that feels like. In fact, before Colton's diagnosis, I watched him have a panic attack at a children's museum that was very crowded, uh, as you can probably imagine Mm -hmm. what happened. And, And I'm watching it happen and I'm thinking, oh my God, like I know exactly what's happening. And so I had, had, many talks with my husband about what it feels like to be someone, you know, and like, this is not a choice that he's making. He, it's not a a won't, it's a can't. And, Mm -hmm. and asking him to do research on his own instead of me lecturing him about what it is. And quite frankly, I didn't have the time and energy and compassion to do that for him. So I had to be really mindful about having reasonable and kind conversations with with him because my tendency was to let it build up and get resentful and then lash out at my husband over something that either didn't have anything to do with our son or just kind of throw up everything at him about our son and be blaming and things like that which wasn't fair I, I wasn't asking for what I needed in a kind way and you know because nobody wants to listen to you like when you're yelling at them and right. <laughs> that's just like communication one one Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I had to realize that and, and have intentional conversations with him like on date night or on a Sunday afternoon, like not when it was an emergency and, and that was hugely helpful. And he always said like, I'll support you guys. You just need to tell me what you need. And I had to surrender some things because I was, I realized I had like a tight grip on everything Yeah, and didn't want to, didn't want to give anything up and so how is that fair either if i'm not if i'm unwilling to do that mm-hmm. so it was a lot of compromise on on my end and and surrendering and and realizing that it's better for my son to have his father be a part of his improvement rather than his mother being a control freak about everything and having his father just kind of like flailing along for the ride yeah so it's like i had to look at it from a different perspective i had to push my ego aside and i had to really look at us as a unit which being the selfish person that i am and being the mama bear that i am is not always easy i do it um sometimes very i make a mess and i've learned the the art of apologizing and uh, it's been it's been good for our marriage it's been hard but in the end it's been good yeah i so relate to everything
1: that you just said i mean i think that similarly i was very very controlling and feeling like I'm the one who's doing this right and I almost got into very protective of Asher in in everything taking his side intervening and and I also feel like I related to the way he was feeling almost. And maybe you did the same with Colton because of you sharing the the anxiety piece and you being able to really put yourself in his shoes. So when you feel so kind of fused or enmeshed with your child and what's going on, it does become almost like a us against the world in yeah. some ways. And then when your partner's outside that circle, that's not a great situation. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that that's something, again, I don't, a lot of people just don't talk about. And it is a tremendous strain on relationships. And I think we need to kind of be open about that so people don't see our
0: yeah. – Facebook fans, face. oh <laughs> right. Oh no, I'm a huge fan of marriage counseling. Marriage counseling, I I'm not afraid to say, has helped my marriage so much, if not saved it. And when you're going around in circles around the same issue over and over again, nobody is willing to see the other side. It's as if it's like two polarizing political views are married to each other, which can that can be the case too, but like you're not gonna convince each other of the other side. And when you're in that state of your marriage, I I don't like to say people have to do things, but I would say like you have to seek help outside of your marriage, like whether it's someone who specializes with with this or not. But it can be so incredibly helpful to have that outside mediator, someone who's
1: not invested in one of you individually. For sure. Mm. So I have another question because you are a coach and, and an author who's written a lot about our inner critic. And it just made me think about, you know, I have a very loud and obnoxious inner critic who has a lot to say about all the ways I screw up on a daily basis about the way I'm raising my child and the choices I make. And when I lose my cool, even though I know I'm supposed to keep it together. So for you personally, as someone who that's a lot of your work is surrounding helping people learn about what's going on inside their head. How has that been for you in
0: relationship to parenting your son? It's been huge because, you know, the way I teach inner critic work is I ask people to break down the different parts of their lives. So, you know, I, I mostly, I, I work with women, but you know, this, it's the same with men too. And, and typically with women, our inner critic is the loudest in the area of like our appearance and our, in our body, that's a huge shame trigger for women. But I think the next one after that is parenting it, and it, it definitely is for me. It's my biggest trigger and I have to absolutely walk my own talk and, and use my own tools. And, and what I have found to be really helpful is I'll give you an example. So this happened a couple of years ago, but it's still clear as day. We, it was during second grade when, um, I think it was in first grade. I can't remember which it was, but we had had, I had had a not so great IEP meeting. And if anyone's been to an IEP meeting where you walk out and you feel like you just got beat up, like you feel like the entire hour was spent reading a list of all the ways that your child is wrong. Let me read to you all the ways that your child is measuring up. And I have, and I have numbers, I have a scale and we're going to tell you how far he falls on the left and not being good enough. And, and that is just, I mean, brutal. It's It's absolutely brutal. And and I think many parents would say like, I'd rather someone tell me the ways, all the ways I'm Mm -hmm. screwing up rather than tell me how my child isn't measuring up. So I had walked away from one of those meetings and I was in the car and I was at a red light And my mind started to get away from me. And I was saying things to myself, like, I can't believe I haven't looked into, I think what had happened is I found out about some nonprofit organizations that are helpful for parents, just in in advocating. And, And so there's so many different resources that I didn't even know about because we had come out of a season where things were really good. and. Then things went awry. And I'm telling myself, I can't believe I did not know about these organizations ahead of time. I should have been on top of this. I'm smarter than this. I haven't even done like a 5K for autism awareness. I haven't even raised any money. Like, what kind of parent am I? I went down that road. Like (laughs) I haven't even donated any money. And just every possible way, you know, every bat I could pick up about my son and the way that I'm failing him as his mother. I was thinking of it. And, you know, and it was just, you know, how long do you sit at a red light? Not that long. And I was totally lost in thought. And then as the light turned green, I remember thinking to myself, okay, you know what, this isn't helpful at all. It doesn't help me become a better parent. It's not helping my son. And I need to give myself a break. I am doing the best that I can, and I can do better and hear here the way. So it's it's really, and and trust me when I tell you, I have been working on this for nearly a decade of learning how to speak to myself in a different matter and learning how to listen for that voice that tells me I'm terrible or not good enough Mm -hmm. or failing. And I don't expect anyone listening who's never done this work before to be able to do that the next time you're at a red light beating yourself up. But it is, you know, if I could just give you like two pieces of advice, it's first, you need to know that you're in it because some people will spin in that place for hours or days or months. So for me, it's about catching myself in those moments and then just acknowledging it. So that's really the first step is just saying like, okay, I hear that voice, and I'm going to choose to go in a different direction. So that's inner critic lesson. one hundred and one.
1: That's such an important lesson. And yeah, there's so much more we will do we could do a whole episode on on that as it relates to parenting. All right, so that that still happens to you then?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and especially, and it depends on where you are in your life. I mean, maybe your career is something that is hugely tr- triggering, or your marriage, or your friendships, or your past. I know some people have stuff that happened in their past that they still drag around and beat themselves up for. And I know for a lot of people listening, it's probably parenting. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely, and just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches I, I wanted to just go back to education for a minute. You said you've had a really good a third grade year, second grade mm. kind of crashed and burned. So, um and I'm really just intrigued that you, you are in a public school and that you're making that work. So can you tell us a little bit about maybe any bumps that you had along the way or, or any things that have worked especially well that parents listening could get some ideas or inspiration from? Yeah,
0: I think that we, what has helped us so much in the public school system is we started first grade and we had just moved to the state of North Carolina. Um, my husband and I are originally from California. That's where both of our kids were born. When they were three and one, we moved to the state of Utah, which is where he was diagnosed and he attended kindergarten there. And then we moved to North Carolina and this is where we plan to stay. And we've been here for, for several years, but he started first grade and we I think we just got kind of lucky with his teacher. She was incredible and really great for him the way she structured things. And then when we went to 2nd grade, we moved communities. And so we had to switch schools again. And this all happened in the summer, so he was never in the middle of the year switching schools and he stayed in the same school district, but again it was a new school for 2nd grade and the teacher was not a great match at all. Of course, the school knew about his diagnosis and tried to place him, but they didn't know him. <laughs> and Um, there was also some conflicts with some other kids in the class and it just, it just wasn't a good match and it was just really rough. Also, I should mention when we finished second grade, I mean, it was bad Debbie. like every day I would pick him up from school and, and it was, it was anywhere from him being in a bad mood to him crying. Like those were the two options and he was very much like a half glass empty kid. And sometimes he still is. But you know, like one bad thing would happen, and it would destroy the rest of the day, even if the rest of the day was good, and he would only focus on that bad thing that happened. That was second grade in a nutshell. And then the summer between second grade and third grade, so this was last summer, it was July, and I you know had heard a lot about changing his diet, and when he was a toddler, he had some GI problems as even when he was a newborn. He had problems, and so I um, had him tested for celiac disease, and um, which came back negative. So that happened when he was about three. So I had always doubted that it had anything to do with his gut. But last summer, you know, at that point he was eight, and he loved science, and he was old enough to understand and grasp the grasp the concept of proteins and um, brain science and things like that. So I sat him down and explained to him about gluten and what sometimes can happen to people and leaky gut syndrome. And he was fascinated by it. And I said, why don't we do this as an experiment and see what happens? Because I had the kid too, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to where he would only eat like five different things. And I didn't want to starve my child. I, I knew that it was going to be more of a battle than it was worth. So that's why I had waited for so long. But last July, I explained it to him. I said, let's do it for maybe 30 or 60 days and see what happens. And we'll go shopping together. And um, I I said, ultimately, it's up to you. But I think that this might help. And he said, okay. And so we did it. (laughs) And I hate to sound really dramatic about it, but it changed our life. (laughs) And he changed dramatically. So we're um we're you know rounding out to about a year now and we're not sure if it's just maturity you know he turned 9 he's getting a little bit more mature um or, or if it's the diet like i don't care which yeah. one it is i'll take it <laughs> and his third grade teacher um he also has an incredible special education case manager and um she was just really great in getting him the best third grade teacher and she's been super and I mean, he's on the honor roll now, and go, um, Colton, just <laughs> yeah. And we we asked him too if he wanted to try to eat some gluten just to like see what would happen because it might not be it because it might also just be like the dyes that were also removed as a result. <laughs> and so I was kind of telling him that, and I'm like, you might be gluten tolerant. Like, w- let's do. You want to see? And he said, No, I don't. Doesn't even want to try it. And that's I, I I kind of lost track of the question. But I, I felt like it was important to mention because and I know that it's not the case for everyone. I, I know I have friends who have similar diagnosis to my son who have removed gluten and saw no changes. Yeah. So I do think it depends on the child. And but for us, it's been it's been really awesome. That
1: is very interesting. I mean, I've, I've heard that and that that is one of my inner critics loudest things is you're not doing enough, you know, <laughs> in terms of your Try kid's it, diet, yeah. but it's one of the things I've always just said, I have too many other things I'm dealing with. I can't take that on right now. But um we have gotten healthier here. But that is so interesting and, and I know that, that that happens. So I'm not surprised to hear that. And it's really it's really cool. And I imagine that if or when you're not in that kind of flight or fight mode constantly, then you can actually make some great growth leaps too.
0: Yeah, it's it's opened up. It, it's like the whole mood in our house has changed too. So every once, I mean, he's not perfect every once in a while, he has a bad day because he's human. And now it it jars us because I think that we remember that that was our normal, just him always being grumpy. When he was a, when he was an infant, we nicknamed him Mr. Fussy Von Grumpy because he was just always pissed off. Like he was just always in a bad mood. And now I wonder if that was it because he was, he was gluten intolerant. And I mean, everything from he looks at the camera when I take his picture, he makes better eye contact. Even just the other night, we went out to dinner and he, we're sitting there waiting for our table to be called. And he's sitting next to me and he put his arm on my shoulder and leaned on me mm. like like unsolicited affection would have never happened. Like when you would ask him for a hug, he would just lean in and he wouldn't even put his arms around you. Like I would have to like grab his arms and put him around me. And I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, but I get unsolicited affection and uh just his focus is better and, and he even tells us that his focus is better at school. His teacher sent me he would never participate in class and his teacher sent me. Uh, a couple weeks ago, a video of him going up to the front of the class at the whiteboard and doing an entire math problem from start to finish in front of the class. I was floored.
3: Wow! Like this is
0: my child. And again, like we're not sure if he's just growing up or if the interventions from before have worked or if it's the gluten. I mean, who knows? Sometimes you just kind of like throw in a bunch of variables and like see what happens.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I mean, I, second grade was our year from hell and then i homeschooled from third grade on so um you know we noticed each year there's more regulation and more connection and just a completely different child now and it it's hard to know what is just a maturity, what is you know, what's really going on here. But Julie George, who we worked with a the therapist we worked with from the UW Autism Center, I would talk to her and she'd be like, Oh, it's just gonna keep getting better. Debbie, you haven't even gotten to the really good years yet. I'm like, really? Awesome. Beautiful." You know? But that's mm-hmm. so great to hear. I love hearing that unsolicited affection and just those moments I know are so important, especially when you have a child who, when they were younger, you didn't know if that was ever going to happen. So that's really awesome.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I was just telling my husband the other day, we were, we were at our community pool and, and I was standing in the the snack bar line by myself. And there was this group of, of teenage boys and there was maybe four of them. They looked like they were like 14 or 15 years old and I'm watching them interact with each other. And and then I start to get nervous and I start thinking, like, how is my son going to be? Like, I can't imagine my son interacting with other boys like that. Like, it just is so, it just doesn't seem like my son. And I went back and I was talking to my husband and I was telling him what I was seeing, and, and I'm like, I'm just worried about him, you know. And and my husband just listens. And then I think, and then I told, I said out loud, I said, I think I, I worry about him more than he will ever need to be worried about. Like, I think he'll be just mm-hmm. fine. And my husband just smiles and smiles. yeah. <laughs> But I don't know if that ever goes away, you know, even if you have a neurotypical child.
1: I was just gonna say, we don't get the license on this. I know every parent has that concern, or, you know, just all those rites of passage. And, and it's so hard to, to just imagine what it's going to look like as they get older. But that brings me to another question. I'm really interested in helping people recognize their own personal triggers. Like what what you just mentioned is one of my personal triggers. Mm-hmm. When I see groups of teenagers his age engaging in things, and then I see my child not engaging in any of them, it you know I know it's tapping into my own baggage, my leftover teen baggage. But it, it's a big trigger mm-hmm. for me. Do you have any any triggers like that that? are guaranteed to Absolutely, I have the same one.
0: And I think too, because I have a neurotypical child. And so I see her interacting as a quote unquote normal child. And she has a lot of friends and she gets invited to all the birthday parties and she has sleepovers. And Colton's just not interested in that. And he's had a couple of play dates, which I've been the planner of. And they've, they've been fine. But I think that's too why I get triggered because I, you know, when watching those teenage boys the other day, I can totally imagine my daughter being a normal teenage girl and doing all the things that teenage girls do, like no, there's no doubt in my mind that she's gonna be just fine. But but thinking about my son doing that, I get hugely triggered. And like you were saying, it brings back all of my, you know, for me it was middle school was awful. And I'm like, oh my God, how is seventh grade gonna he's gonna be in braces? He's got this cowlick, <laughs> you know. <just> like <laughs> Is it going to be bad? And I don't know if this is everyone's experience, but I have found that I care about his social status and so, like all of that way more than he does. Like like we were talking about his birthday because it's tricky because he's an August birthday. And so he's not in school when it's his birthday. And I said, do you want us to maybe like give invitations out at the very end of the school year to, for your friends so we can like plan your birthday way ahead of time. And he thought about it and he was like, not really. But what if we just do like something fun with us, just our family? And, 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 you know, that's me getting triggered and like thinking that he has to have these friends and they, I'm, I'm the hovering mom in that way with his social yeah. stuff, because that still is a little bit hard for him. But again, what it comes down to is that he doesn't come home and cry about it or say like, nobody likes me or everybody hates me. And he, he did that in second grade, but it just, and I don't even think that that was true, that everybody hated him. I just think he was just struggling more, but it's, it's, it's my stuff. And for, I just have to remember. And my husband gently reminds me too. Sometimes he just, he lets me talk it out that, you know, this is their life to be lived and that, you know, whether he's differently wired or not, he's a human being who was born resilient. And we all are, you know, we are, we are born for struggle to survive struggle and. I try to remember too and be grateful that he has a mother that can't protect him from the pain. But I am definitely a soft place for him to land when he has pain. Like both of my children know they can come to me when anything happens and I cannot fix it for them. But I can be there to again, like just be there for them and and be a witness to their pain as excruciating as that is. (laughs) And it's, I've had to work tremendously on my own stuff in order to get to a place where I can, you know, what we call in this business, hold space for someone else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's been a hard lesson to learn, but one that I've, I've wanted from day one for them.
1: Yeah. It's one thing to hold space for clients and it's another thing to hold space for your children. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that was so well said though. I, I love that. And, and it is such a reminder that that our kids are resilient, and they will be fine, you know, if we can get out of our own way, <laughs> just love them and support them. That's awesome. So I have one more question for you. And that is, I'm asking this of a lot of parents, and I'm, I'm very curious about it, but also because of of the business that you're in. Can you talk a little bit about self-care? And you know, I'm a huge advocate of self-care and I take it when I need it. So how do how do you take care of yourself?
0: I take care of myself by a few different things. You know, I for a while I was really sort of hellbent on being in a an in-person support group for other parents of differently wired kids and then I kind of felt like, you know what? I don't want to talk about this all the time,
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know. Like I, I, and I, and I do still participate somewhat, but I really make it a point to get together with my friends and um, just do mom things, you know, like go shopping and um, and and do things that don't have anything to do with my children and also working on my marriage. I again, whether your kids are are on the spectrum or not, I think that it when they are of a certain age it is so difficult to survive marriage <laughs> if you're not actively working yeah. on it and i have found that my children are happier when my husband and i are in a good place you know they feel safer they know when we are tense with each other or are not or not connecting and I I want them to feel safe and I I want to give them that gift of their parents having a good marriage. And so that's another way that I take care of myself is maintaining a strong relationship with my husband and and you know just the usual stuff that you hear about all the time like making sure that I work out and those types of things and and I'm a writer and making sure that I I get some writing time in that's not for work. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually like for pleasure and reading and and those types of things that we hear about all the time, super important.
1: Thank you for answering that and and sharing and I also Love your response about working on your relationship or just kind of being in partnership with your husband as part of your self-care. That's such a good reminder. It's something I'm just realizing I'm so busy right now because I'm on this deadline and I have so little time for myself. My saving grace is just grabbing a podcast and going for a a quick walk. But I've been like, do you want to come with me to my husband? And just like walking a few blocks hand in hand is that is definitely yeah. some self care right there in that same way.
0: Yeah, I just think it so quickly can run away from us. You know, like I I was on a writing deadline as well and there were a few weeks where I was working during the day and then as soon as my husband would come home, you know, we were like we would high five in the hallway and I would head out to the coffee shop to continue to work and I was working on Saturdays and Sundays and there were weeks that would go by where I feel like I barely saw him. And that can that can go downhill really fast. I've noticed that that feeling of disconnection. And then it just kind of like breeds. Kind of like when you don't work out and then you feel really unmotivated. And then, you know, it's like in my marriage, I'm like, well, he hasn't really done anything. He hasn't expressed any gratitude to me. He hasn't reached out and texted me during the day. Why should I, you know, mm-hmm. those kind of thoughts? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why should I be the one to try so hard? And, and again, and my ego gets in the way. And I, I have to just really um remember that that we are a family unit and there's more to this family than just me. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) And and, and it's okay that I'm that I'm actually making an effort and, and it's all for it's all for good. So yeah, that's great.
1: This conversation has been just so interesting to me personally. I mean, we've talked about these issues before, but I always consider things in a different way after we chat. And I know that our listeners are going to be inspired to think differently and have picked up some good nuggets. I also have a feeling they're going to want to check out your podcast and your website to hear more about the way that you think about things and your work regarding your inner critic and all those things. So would you mind telling us how people can track you down?
0: Yeah, the the inner critic work is and they can download. I have a free ebook and audio that's at kickasslife.com And then the podcast, if you just go to iTunes or where you're, wherever you get your podcast and search for your Kick-Ass Life podcast. um, You can find it there.
1: And listeners, I will leave links to Andrea's website, her podcast, and her book as well on the show notes page. So you can check out all of the goodness that is Andrea Owen. And uh, Andrea, thank you so much for just sharing your story. I really appreciate all of the time that you took to walk us through your personal story. Again, it's inspiring, and it helps other parents feel like they're not crazy and that they're not alone and yeah. and that there's a lot of us going through this and it, and it can actually it can actually be something that improves marriages and and lives and builds builds from
0: there so thank you so much you're welcome it's been my pleasure this hour has flown by and I always love talking to you and just so grateful for the work that you're doing out in the world thank you thank you so much
1: you've been listening to the till parenting podcast for the show notes for this episode, including links to Andrea's website, her podcast, her books, and the other resources we talked about visit tillparenting.com slash session 79. If you get value out of this podcast and would like to support us, there are a couple easy ways to help. One is to help sponsor the podcast through my Patreon campaign. Patreon is a simple membership platform that allows listeners like you to make a small monthly contribution to fund the show. If you want to help us, visit patreon.com/tillparenting. The other way is to be sure and rate and review the podcast on iTunes and help me spread the word. Thanks again for listening. For more information on Till Parenting, visit www.tillparenting.com.